Welcome to Be The Difference, stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. Be The Difference is presented by Back-to-Back Ministries who exist to be a voice for orphaned and vulnerable children around the world. I'm Sammy Matthews, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. We are interviewing royalty today, Sammy. This was such a fun conversation, yeah, Chris. We talked to Adrienne Wiley. She is the director of the Healing Center, which is associated with Vineyard Church in Cincinnati. The Healing Center is a ministry that offers practical social and spiritual support to individuals and families. We're going to hear her talk about some of the different services they offer and what happens when a person enters the doors of the Healing Center. But in general, they're going to find educational support, health care, spiritual care, and a food pantry. A few things to listen for in this episode. First, we encourage you to listen to the multi-layered aspects of poverty. There may be more than uh, you've been introduced to or that you think about when you hear that word. Second, listen for the way that Adrian describes the participants or those who enter the doors of the healing center. There's some specific terminology that we were really encouraged by. Third, she answers this question of why do people go to church for the first time? And we think that's very powerful and you should listen to that. And last, really listen to Adrienne's thoughts on diversity in leadership and be influenced by her vantage point on those. And like Chris said, we are interviewing royalty today. And what we mean by that is that while Adrienne's official title is executive director, she has a different title she prefers to go by. And we're going to talk about that right at the beginning. So let's get to our conversation with the Duchess of Tri-County, Adrienne Wiley. Adrienne, I wanted to start our conversation with um, a real vexing question. I've heard I've heard you referred to as Adrian in the past, but I've also heard that you like to go by Royal Duchess of Tri-County. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? I do. I do. Um, Duchess is, um, once I was promoted to executive director, that was really the title that I wanted instead of executive director because, you know, like there are tons of executive directors everywhere. <laughs> but how many Royal Duchess of Tri-County are there? None. The right? one and just only. Just the one. Just me. Yes. And um, so I, it, it's completely like self-titled like no one else calls me that I've been trying to get it to to stick and my stuff just doesn't listen to me so like here we are maybe they'll listen to us and this will just take off and you are now dubbed the royal duchess of tri-county on behalf of the healing center and we can't wait to just share that name we could probably get a nameplate for your desk or something I think that's definitely possible absolutely we could do that yep new business cards everything that's great so now you're the royal duchess Mm -hmm. and also executive director but that's not how you started at the healing center so you were a volunteer Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. and how did you even become a volunteer what made you say yes to that so I was attending the Vineyard, uh, so the Healing Center is a ministry of Vineyard Cincinnati Church, and um, I was sitting there in the seats one day just reading the announcement, um, the announcement pamphlet, and they were requesting volunteers for Christmas parties at this organization called the Healing Center that I had never heard of, and I'd been at the Vineyard maybe six months at that point. And um, you guys don't know this about me, but I am a crazy Christmas lady. I was just asking today, like, can we start decorating next week for Christmas? I was told no. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start with my office, though. Um, Anyway, so um, I love Christmas. And so um, I was like, I would do that. And so I signed up. And my niece was 15 at the time, drug her along with me. And uh, we walked in to serve one time at the Christmas parties. And I absolutely fell in love with 
the healing center and the people and just everything that it represents. It was, it was so amazing. And so I signed up to volunteer, went to orientation, and then um, was working my full-time job and just volunteering there um, on Saturdays. What was the career path before Healing Center for you? So what was that full-time job that then gave you the freedom to volunteer? Yeah. So I was running a mentoring program for children with mental illness okay. at that time. So serving was kind of something you were familiar with. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a huge jump to serve at the Healing Center. Right. I've mostly worked in nonprofit and um, have done some like retail management like through the years or whatever. And no matter what you're doing, you're serving, right? Like mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to serve. And so that's how I feel about it. But um, have always definitely been in the like serving people roles in my career. Was that true even childhood? Like if you walk all the way back to when you're a young duchess, mm-hmm. um, is that true for you even then? Yeah, I think so. My... Uh, mom, my parents especially, like they set a really great example of service. My dad was in the military, so I mean, I think that there's almost no greater, uh, you know, service than that. Mm-hmm. And and my my mom was just amazing. Like, if there is, there was one time a flood that was like threatening our town, and um, we're going down and we're filling sandbags. She's the person that's giving the mm-hmm. the neighbors a ride to the grocery store. She's picking you know medicine up for people. She was a, a person that really just loved like seek the outcast that was kind of what Mm. she did and she you know sought them and served them so uh, i had a great example of that growing up when you think about just volunteering at the healing center is there like a specific story or person that you think of of like that's why i kept coming back it was just the people and like just the community aspect and that sense of um just everyone just loving on each other you know and it was really and it wasn't that it was christmas right it was just that's how the healing center is all the time yeah so you move pretty quickly from volunteer into a staff role. Talk to mm-hmm. us about that transition of why say yes mm-hmm. to leaving what you were already doing, leaving a, a, this mentoring program mm-hmm. to join Healing Center. What was the draw to that? I was called. Okay. Right? It, was, it definitely was a calling. When I walked in there, I felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm. And... Um, and then everything just kind of fell into place there from volunteering there and spending time with um, the volunteers that I served with and um, the staff. It just seemed so natural. And then um, I was hired and the people that were working there that had been there for years, they're like, it just feels like you've always been here. And so it was just like it really was a call. And it was the first time I can remember distinctly in my life feeling like I am exactly where God wants me to be. Uh-huh. And so, um, and and that was it. And so I've been hooked ever since. What is it about your personality that has people continually saying, it just feels like you've always been part of us? Have you ever mm-hmm. thought about that? I think a part of it is, so my dad was in the military. We traveled a lot. And so we um, interacted with lots of different people and um, just new communities, integrating into new communities. And so that is... Um, something that I've kind of learned. It's a skill that I have that I think um, I'm not shy about uh, reaching out to people and connecting and um, just getting to know people and building relationships. That's been something that I learned, you know, growing up in the military. Okay. You learned how to be a connector, Mm -hmm. how to bring different people together. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine you keep using that skill as executive director. Absolutely. What was the shift to that role like for you? It was a five-year uh, transition, but it seems like it was overnight, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started, when I was hired, I was the volunteer coordinator. And so um, just volunteer orientations and just kind of managing um, 
the volunteers. And then maybe a year and a half later, I became the volunteer program manager, just really building out the volunteer programming and um, making a more robust uh, onboarding system for our volunteers. So we uh, added classes like understanding poverty and boundaries and personal responsibility and just helping people realize that you're not just in ministry here, but you're a ministry in your community and really helping strengthen um, that for them. And uh, not long, maybe a year after that, I was the director of operations, so really overseeing all of the front of house things and then what was happening in our warehouse. And then September of 2020, which is a fun time to do anything in 2020, right? (laughs) (laughs) September of 2020, I became the executive director. What is it about the mission of the Healing Center that really draws you in or that you love? So I am uh, a huge fan. This may seem unrelated, but it totally is huge fan of the Rocky movies, okay. right? And um, just absolutely love them. The Rocky movies were like my first, not only because my name's Adrian, right? Like I probably <laughs> would dislike it because of that, right? Like, but um, the Rocky movies were like, those were the first movies that I remember understanding the concept of the underdog. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, Rocky Two is actually my favorite because in the first Rocky, Rocky's just like, I'm just going to take this fight. I'm not going to do an impression because it would be terrible. But he's like, you know, I'm just going to take this fight. I know I'm not going to win. Like, it'll be fine. I'm going to get beat up, but I'm just going to get this payday and, you know, just prove right. to myself that I can go in the ring with the champ. And in Rocky two, he actually had the belief that he could do it, right? Like that I could possibly win. And so I'm going to train and I'm going to do mm. this. And it was this idea that there is so much more in people than they actually realize, right? And so sometimes you just need a support system or you need an opportunity to bring that out of you. And that's what I love about the Healing Center because every single person, all of us included, have so much more inside of us, you know? And sometimes you just need someone to see it or someone to really just walk alongside you or to point it out for you. And that's what I really love about the Healing Center. Can you think of a individual or a family that you witnessed realizing that truth about themselves that we through our experiences at the healing center have found that we're able to do more than we thought we could so many right like that that's the beauty of the healing center and it's not just the guests or the families that come there Mm -hmm. it's the staff it's the volunteers it is it is a it's almost like magic, but it's not. It's the Holy Spirit, right? Like it's just you walk in there and it just feels different and you're there. And I think my favorite part about it is the transition and the change that happens in our volunteers because you mm. you think, well, I'm just coming here to serve. Or I'm just coming here to help poor people or, you know, whatever your attitude is that um, you you come into there with. And then you realize that you're receiving so much more. You think that you're giving and you're, you know, like, I'm just I'm just here helping these people. And you realize that you're growing. Like, there's no greater way to understand the heart of God than to serve his people. Yeah. And so that is like really the biggest change that happens in people is that you see these people matter to God and he loves them and I'm going to serve them. And that really is the coolest thing to see. So take us on the journey of someone who comes to the Healing Center looking for services, support, Mm -hmm. and they walk through the doors, what's the first thing that happens? People always say, there's something different about this place Mm -hmm. every single time. They don't know what it is. Like, we know it's the Holy Spirit, right? But people always say, there's something different about this place. But when they come in, they are greeted with smiling faces and um, people that are just kind. 
and they're treated like a guest. We call the people that come to the Healing Center guests mm-hmm. because we built that place for them and we created it and we welcome them there like you would guests in your home. So the little things matter. Like when yeah. guests come to your house, like you're not feeding them your scraps. You're not, you know, like you're cleaning up. You're, you know, you want to make sure that your house is nice. You want to make sure that you have mm-hmm. like the good coffee, you know, and all of that out. And so we do that and we treat our guests uh, like they are guests of the Healing Center. I love that. When a guest um, comes through the doors at the Healing Center, does this end up being a one-time experience, or do your volunteers and the community get an opportunity to deepen relationships with guests over time? Most of the time, they're they're long-term relationships that we get to really help our guests identify their future stories because we sit down one-on-one with every household that Mm. comes through the Healing Center. And we help them identify their future story and identify appropriate next steps and then walk alongside them to achieve it. So we understand that everyone's future story is different, which is why we have over 50 different programs and services, because it it is a one-stop shop, but it's not a one-size-fits-all when you come in in our doors. And so um, we are there for people through their entire journey with us, and they can stay with us as long as they would like to, because we, even if you are uh, financially um, a little bit more stable, you can be a part of this community as long as you want to be. You mentioned training and even understanding poverty mm-hmm. with even your volunteer corps. So I'm, my mind went to this direct correlation that you're going to see a person as a guest when you start to have a healthy framework for understanding poverty, understanding systems, and understanding community. Mm-hmm. How important has that training been to create more of that familial community at the Healing Center? It's really eye-opening for people. And it is because, number one, when we talk about poverty, we're not just talking about financial poverty. Right. We're talking about the extent that people go without not only basic resources, but your spiritual, your emotional, your social resources, all those different levels of poverty. And Mm -hmm. everything that we do touches on at least one of those areas of poverty. And so just that understanding that all of us have, if we're not currently, have in the past experienced some level of poverty. And so we're all the same kind of, we're all Mm -hmm. on an equal playing field there. But then it's also an understanding that people are not... Um, in the situations that they are because they're not good Christians and they're not living right or, you know, like whatever, or they had too many children, they can't afford that. Like all of the different stereotypes that people have about people living in poverty. It is that people that live in poverty have less resources, less support systems, less choices. And so that's been huge for our volunteers to understand. How important is it to listen to the guests when they come in? What role does listening play? It's huge. It is huge because people are often marginalized and people are just told what to do and they're given options that really are not the best and they're not treated the best, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're not really treated very well when they go to a lot of different places. And so um, a lot of times people will come in um, angry or frustrated and it's because no one's listened to them. And we can't, we know that we can't solve everyone's problem. And I think that's one of the hardest things for our volunteers to kind of grapple with is that we can't always say yes. Like sometimes no is the most life-giving answer that you can give someone if it stops them from engaging in a cycle that's bad for them. And so sometimes we have to say no. And we probably say no a little bit more often than we would like to because we do want to help people. But sometimes the best help that we can give is a no for people. And so that's a hard thing mm-hmm. for people to wrestle with. And when people hear no, sometimes they they get upset or they get angry, and it really is not necessarily about the no. It's that they didn't feel heard. 
you know, and that they did not feel like um, we were taking into not just us, but just in general, that they're what they were feeling and what they've been going through is not really taken into consideration. So it really is huge. People will, you can say hard things to people if they know that you've listened to them and that you understand uh, where it is that they're coming from. And then they're more willing to, to hear and accept the hard thing. I think some, some people might be wondering, what, what would be an example of a no that you would need to give in this environment? So um, an example that I can... Uh, kind of think of, and I don't want to get too specific, but there was someone that had come to us to um, request financial assistance. Mm -hmm. And really our financial assistance is to stabilize housing. That really is um, what our financial assistance fund is. And people give their tithes and their, you know, their offerings to, to that. And we want to honor, you know, people's intentions with that. And um, so there's a person that really, um, they applied for financial assistance and we sit down like with them and we do a budget and a money coach and, you know, all of these things. And we're finding out that, you know, you, you did just receive help. Like, fi- mm-hmm. first of all, there's some financial issues and some mm-hmm. decisions that you're making that really are not the best. And we're not judgmental about that at all. Right. We're just saying, hey, this is not the best. And actually, you did receive assistance for this exact same thing a couple months ago and nothing's changed. And so here you are back again. And really what we want to do is get to the root of this problem. Handing you money is not going to solve your problem. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's a no that you have to say um, because it really is not helpful to that person. That's great. What I hear you saying is a yes might unintentionally enable you Mm -hmm. to stay in a place where you can't see what your potential is. So a no may help you see the door or the window of a yes that is actually what you need. Is absolutely. that right? Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. That's powerful. So those stories have to be pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And what I've picked up from you, and I think Sammy's picked up from you already, is you live at a level of enthusiasm and party most days of the week. <laughs> is that true? How does someone with such an inner... I believe inter- the fifth. You believe the fifth? <laughs> How does an energetic and enthusiastic person stay in this work for this long when the stories are so hard? Not all the stories are hard, right? And not all the hard things stay hard. Yeah. And so that really is the, I think I said it earlier, we get to be a part of God doing some really cool stuff. And we get to see transformation happen all the time. And so, um, and, and you just hang in there. And also, again, because Every single person has more inside of them than they realize, you know. And so it is um, a passion and a desire of mine to help people to see that. So as you think about that, like, relentless pursuit and championing of people, Mm -hmm. is was there impact with COVID in your mission and your journey? And how did that – how did you keep that relentless pursuit in spite of those world challenges? That was hard. Mm Mm-hmm. 2020 was a hard year and people were scared. Yes. Right. Like mm-hmm. people were really afraid. And um, we we had a meeting and realized, you know, like what we're doing and the way that we're doing it is really not um, sustainable. It, like we don't know what's happening, but we know we can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. But we do know people still need food. And, and people need it now more than ever. And people need connection. And they need that now more than ever. And so we had this meeting on the 14th. And so that following Wednesday, we immediately opened up a drive through a food pantry in our parking lot. And so there was never a break during that time. We served through the entire uh, shutdown. Rain or shine, we, we were out there um, just serving people. And um, it was important 
you know, to do that. And we needed to be there for them, you know, and that was really important. So we, like our entire staff, um, we shut down everything else and that was what we all focused on. And so, and then we had a um, handful of volunteers that continued to be dedicated to the mission and continued to help us serve. And mm. we we're just like sticking our heads in people's cars and we're serving and we're praying for them. We're, you know, doing all of those things. And that was um, really important, but it was, it was a hard year. It was, it was really hard. How did you do with that? With the, um, I'm guessing the burden of a lot of people, mm-hmm. the isolation that can come when mm-hmm. you're maybe extroverted, maybe you like to be with people all the time. Mm-hmm. How'd that weigh on you personally? So I think the thing that weighed on me the most was that, and I'm like a pretty chill person, right? Okay. Like, and yeah. it takes a lot for me to get upset. Sometimes I wonder if I even have a pulse, right? Like, it's just like sometimes, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> it takes a lot to move me one one direction That's or good. the other. And, but the people around me were afraid. Mm. And yeah. the people, and I had no answers, right? And, and, um, and so that was that was tough, you know, like taking that on for them mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to encourage them and um, continue to um, support them in the roles that they were doing. Um, that was my toughest time as a leader, I yeah. think. I learned a lot about myself, though, during that time. But that was my that was my toughest time. What did you learn about yourself as a leader? I learned to lead regardless of what I was feeling. And um, that you show up, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what, you have to show up. And if you show up, other people will show up too, you know. And if you stay calm, people will stay calm. And if you just um, – sometimes you just, you just have to, like, keep moving. In addition to the weight of a pandemic, mm-hmm. we were also – Engaging yet again in the conversation around racial injustice and a weight as a society. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you could share just your vantage point, not only as a black uh, participant in the conversation, Mm -hmm. but a black woman in leadership. That's a lot of opportunity. And yet at the same time, a lot of space where there's not very many people that are resonating with you in that space. How'd that feel? That was just an additional layer of heaviness that Mm. was on top of everything. And I think everyone felt that. I think that was um, hard for everyone. I think, you know, partly as a black person, you're kind of like, we've been trying to tell you that this Mm. was happening, right? Like we've been trying to say this and no one's listening to us. The question is, what did they do? Or why didn't they listen to the police? Why didn't they just comply? Or why, you know, Mm -hmm. like, why didn't they just keep their hands up or whatever it was, you know, it was just the, um, and so it was everyone finally kind of starting to see the things that we've also been saying um, and then all of a sudden wanting to talk about it. Yeah. And that was also hard, too. And you're, you're trying to kind of navigate how you feel about that. I think the George Floyd situation was so hard and so for everyone. But I think particularly for black people, it was it was really hard. And um, I can't imagine being a black man during that time as well, because that's something completely different as well. Um, but being a leader at that time, you kind of have that sense of responsibility of wanting to answer those questions because you do want to 
to educate people. And you want to be honoring to people that really do want to know and that are really genuinely seeking to understand what's happening. And so you want to be honoring to that. But then at the same time, it's exhausting to, you know, have to be the safe black person for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, as well. And so, um, but it, I mean, that was really, there were some really great conversations that were had during that time. Um, and I think it really was for us, you know, as a um, as a church, really a step in in the right direction for us. That there are more people that are really saying, "I had no idea," and I want to be a part of the solution. It's good. As you're coming out of this tumultuous season that was the beginning of the pandemic, and then organizations mm-hmm. like yours and and ours um, start to try to settle and go back into what we were doing. Mm-hmm. What did God use to surprise you? over this past season that now you look back and you think, huh, I needed to hear that from him. What was really interesting and kind of cool was um, our volunteers that still like supported yeah. supported us through that time, even though they couldn't be there. Um, they still supported us the way that um, the the church rallied around us and rallied around like because we still had a fundraiser to do like (laughs) during that time and and um the way that people just showed up for us and and it was really a testament to you know to that place god has his hand on the healing center and Mm. he he cares about what happens there and it's not and it's his place you know and Mm. so that it's going to be okay and i think it takes a leader who keeps showing up yeah, to have a team like that around and to have a team like that that supports and continues to encourage and champion one another. Mm-hmm. If you think about people, guests who come to the healing center, if they could walk out those doors only hearing one message, what do you want them to hear? You matter to God. Mm. Yeah, you matter to God, I think. Um, and I think people do. And they People feel it, even if they don't know what it is, you know, like, and even if they are not believers, uh, people feel it mm-hmm. when they leave. What changes when we know that we matter to God? Oh, my gosh. So many things. Everything, right? Like, <laughs> everything, you know, changes. It's the hope. That's the most important thing, that you leave more hopeful. That, you know, like, when you have an issue or you're struggling or like you're in a crisis, you have tunnel vision and you don't see anything but that Mm. crisis. And sometimes you don't see a way out. And when you know that you matter to God and you know that people care about you, Mm. you know, there's hope there. There is, okay, maybe I can do this. And, you know, I think that's, that's the important thing. It's the first step to everything. It's it's light at Mm -hmm. the end of a really dark tunnel. Exactly. What are you excited for on the horizon that's that's in front of you? So many things. I think the the challenge for me right now is to say I was just actually like praying about this and like journaling about it this morning. Like, God, what do you want to do? Because there's so many things that I'm like, this is like we can do this and we can do that. One of the things that I'm so excited about um, is and like this seed was planted. 2018, 2019, I don't remember, but um, I was at a conference and one of the speakers uh, said that when someone walks into your door for the first time, he was talking about church, right? But it's so very true for the Healing Center. Someone walks into your door for the first time, it's because in their life something's missing, something's changing, or something's broken. And um, that's so very true Mm -hmm. of 
of people that that come to us, um, particularly for the first time, and it doesn't just mean guests. It it really is. It's our volunteers. It's you know if a staff person comes on staff, something's changing in there. Mm-hmm. You know that's a major shift as well. And so when something comes into you know someone comes to you for the first time, something's missing, something's changing, or something's broken. And what are the implications of that on the healing center mm-hmm. just in general? And really, it boils down to really it's all a hospitality you know issue. And so how do we um, how do we give our first fruits and, you know, like this just exceptional level of hospitality to people? How do we see them and recognize and acknowledge where they're at and then walk alongside them through whatever that, that journey is? And so that's one thing. And then the other thing uh, for me is that um, I, I've been learning a lot. I'm participating in this uh, program called Leadership Cincinnati. And so I've been learning a lot about the city and um, really just been learning about some of the neighborhoods, some things that I knew and some things that I'm just like, what is happening here? You know, mm-hmm. um, like one of the neighborhoods that's really close to the healing center um, has a uh, 47% poverty rate. Mm-hmm. And um, another one, like 50% of their people make less than $25,000 a year. And the cost of living in Cincinnati is 51000 and uh, and so many different things like that, like your your life expectancy if you live in Mason is 86 years. And if you live in Walnut Hills, it's 63. You know, like there's you know so many different yeah. things that are happening in the city. And and so what's our role in that? You know, like we have the opportunity, like this is like a brave new world, like kind of post pandemic shutdown and mm-hmm. the needs of people are different. Um, some of them, the core doesn't change, but some of the needs are different. And so um, just kind of partner with the staff to say, like, what's our role in that? I'm in for that conversation. Well, we want to wrap up by saying thank you on behalf of every guest that has walked through the doors of the Healing Center, the guests who walked in and for the very first time felt like they mattered not only to somebody but to God, who is missing something, something's changing, or they're broken mm-hmm. in some way, and they find hope when all they've known is darkness. Yeah. Thank you for continuing to be their champion, for your relentless hope and courage in the face of adversity, Thank you on behalf of the volunteers who are changed by serving and on behalf of your team who, because you show up, they feel like they can show up too. I think you rightfully earn the title of Royal Duchess of Tri-County and Tri-County is different because you're in it. Adrian, what a fun time. I want to let the listeners in that even around this interview, it was just an entertaining time with her. I hope you heard it through our voices throughout that we were just having fun in the conversation. I loved when she started an illustration around Rocky. Some of you may know that she's referring to these boxing movies of Rocky Balboa, whose wife is Adrian. So we were struggling throughout that conversation not to shout Adrian really loud. <laughs> If that's not your thing, uh, we encourage you to check out those older Rocky movies. But the real description in that movie was the difference between the first movie of Rocky where this underdog just thought, I should just take a fight because I have nothing to lose. I have no expectations on myself. That the second movie in the series is a belief I could actually be greater than I thought I could be. So I'm going to start training in order 
to become who I believe I can be and others believe in me. And Adrian tied the healing center to that training space for guests to start believing in who they can be and to get the training. And I love that that tie-in. I love the way I just kept thinking like, this woman is a champion of people. Yeah. She is going to champion others even when they can't see it in themselves yet. And I think that so mirrors the heart of God that there is potential and to see it and call it out and encourage it. That's what God does with us all the time. But it also really challenged me to think about how am I looking at the people around me and seeing the potential, the God-given potential in them that maybe they can't even see for themselves? And how can I be a part of championing my community? Yeah, and that champion terminology for her turned into approaching people as guests and not Mm -hmm. just guests at Disney World where we might say, be our guest here, but guests as in, in my home. Like that's that was the illustration, and that that really stood out to me. Of when you have a guest over to your home, maybe you clean up, you serve the best, you make sure that your guests have access to anything and everything that they need. And while that uh, terminology is utilized for those who may come through the healing center as participants, I actually think it's a belief system for Adrian from her staff for volunteers. She sees everyone as someone that she's been invited to host. And that that's a, a mind shift for me that could be really helpful. Yeah, it's interesting when she was saying that. I recently had guests stay at my apartment and I felt this need to buy them new towels yeah. that I needed to go to the store and have brand new, clean, crisp towels for them. Because she's right. When we host someone in our in our home, there's a different level of hospitality and it changes if I see everyone that way. If I want to uplift and serve and receive everyone with brand new towels, metaphorically, what does that look like? How do I do that? Um, I thought there was something really beautiful in not giving the leftovers, but giving the very best. Yeah, there's an approach to belonging that is directly tied to that guest mentality. And even here for the podcast, Adrian didn't come alone. She brought one of her collaborators on staff, Julie, with her and shared in this experience together. And that even stood out to me that this is a vantage point on investing in people by offering invitations to say, come with me, no matter where I'm going, come with me. I think that dials into her responses to being a black woman in leadership during that specific time between COVID and the loss of life that we had through the conversation around George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, other things that some other podcasts have had a thread. I really appreciated her perspective of not only did I have to show up to say, we've got to get through this pandemic, but I also have to show up as a leader who's helping others navigate. And I don't know if you noticed, but her response in that when we asked the question was not to think of herself again, but immediately her response was, I couldn't imagine being a black man during that time. And I just learned so much from Adrian on her perspective is always to think about someone else's perspective and to empathize with them. Yeah, that, I mean, that's why she creates the level of hospitality that she does yes. at the healing center, because it's about what will their perspective be when they walk through the door. And I just, I loved her answer when I asked her what one message she wanted people to hear. And it's that you matter to God. Like at the end of the day, that is the most fundamental message that can change a life. 
And I loved that it is as simple and as deep and as profound as that, that you matter to God. Yeah, and I think sometimes I think I want to communicate you matter to God by always saying yes mm. to what you're asking mm-hmm. for because it felt like Jesus said yes a lot to creating opportunities, to building community, to healing, to all of these things. I was grateful for the way in which Adrian said sometimes the kindest thing that you can say is no because no enables um, and illustrates that we are not really solving a problem that you're struggling with because if we just said yes to that and that wasn't enough, and we say yes again, we're actually not empowering you as a human. Mm-hmm. We're actually enabling in that spot. And so that was really powerful that saying you matter to God sometimes means saying no. Yeah, I think it can at first sound counterintuitive. But if you think about like kids, mm-hmm. we have to say no to kids because it's healthy and helpful and safe. And sometimes God says no to us because it's healthy and helpful and safe and good for us. And I just really appreciated that vantage point of being able to say sometimes kindness is no. I learned so much from Adrian in this conversation. I'm going to continue to take away the idea of how do I see potential in others? How do I invite them to walk in the full potential of who God created them to be? How do I how do I treat every person that comes into my path like they're a guest in my home? How do I create that kind of hospitality as a person? That'd be my challenge to all of us. And when are the moments when it's actually really kind for me to set a boundary and say no? What does that look like? How does that feel? What does that sound like? And so thank you again to Kohatch Mason, to the Duchess of Tri-County, Adrian, to our amazing producer, Mikey. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this journey. And we'll see you on the next episode.